You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast with Pastor Daniel Williams as we go through a series called God Redeems, a study through the book of Exodus. We are going to continue on, guys, in our... um, in our teaching through the book of Exodus. And so um, I was glad that, that Pastor Daniel kind of circled back around in those announcements because he said it's Christmas and, you know, it's Thanksgiving, you guys. One of my favorite little memes that I've seen kind of swirling around is someone saying, hey guys, look at my Christmas tree. And it's a picture of their shed. And they said, it's still in a box because it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> So that's a, I thought that was a pretty clever thing. So I know some of you guys are Christmas crazy. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, if you have a YouTube channel, you have to. I mean, it's just a rule, right? You had to decorate a month ago. But anyway, uh, and some of you guys just really enjoy those Christmas decorations and want to keep them up all year long. Um, so, um, hey, each to his own, right? Uh, I enjoy Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. You guys love Thanksgiving, right? And so we love the food, we love everything about it, but I do just want to encourage you, just take some time. And in our community group last week and in our, uh, in our youth group even, uh, we just paused for a moment and just take a few minutes. What are you thankful for? What are, what are, you, you know, what are the things that God's doing in your life? You know, and we talked about that, those moments of praise a few weeks before. And um, so uh, we had a tradition for a little while in our family where uh, you passed out some candy corns or some pennies or something like that. And you make everybody go around and uh, use one and say what they're thankful for. And then you go back and you just keep going around the table. Um, I've done that with a couple of different things. So uh, fun little things just to remind yourself that God is good and God is good all the time. And we really do have a lot to be thankful for, a lot to be thankful for. Um, so, and if you can't think of anything, again, you're just not, you're not paying attention to what God's doing in your life because he is doing it. He is doing it, even in the tough times, guys, even in the tough times. And so, uh, and, and tonight we are going to talk a little bit about uh, wisdom that comes with age. And, um, you know, that is one of those things. And I think for most of us in here um, that have lived a couple of years of life, um, all of us really, um, so um, you realize as you get older that uh, you do have to stop and see God in all the details um, because otherwise you're gonna get discouraged. You're gonna, because life happens. Life is difficult and it happens all around you. And we just need to be super thankful for the things that God is doing all around us and super thankful for the people. That's one of the great things about Thanksgiving is usually you're getting together with people that you love and enjoy spending time with, right? Most, most of you. Some of you are getting together with family that's difficult and all, I'm, no. And that you still love and that you enjoy spending time with or at least enjoy trying to get them to know something about the Lord because it's an excellent opportunity for that as well, to be thankful and to show them 
the ideas of thankfulness and how important it is to keep our eyes focused on the Lord. So uh, let's jump into our scripture tonight uh, in the book of Exodus in chapter 18. And uh, after chapter 18, we'll really start to move into the law. And so we'll pick that back up in January uh, once we get into the law. So uh, this was kind of our plan all along is to get through this and then move into the Christmas season. Um, So that way we can kind of reboot it to talk about the law of God. So um, last week, uh, when we were together, we saw that Jethro, okay, uh, the Median priest, came to visit Moses, and he brought Moses' wife and sons, which are Jethro's daughter and grandchildren. And so, and then what happened at that moment is Jethro and Moses would then worship together. They would make a sacrifice. Jethro would bring the sacrifice. He would make this praise offering. And so here we had Jew and Gentile, okay, or Hebrew and Gentile at this time that were worshiping together before the Lord, which has always been God's plan, both Jews and Gentiles from the very beginning, worshiping together. So uh, now we had this whole moment, right? And you get these mountaintop moments, right? Whether we're talking about the Amalekites, we're talking about the family being joined back together and this worship happening, right? And most of us in the next, this week or in the next couple of days, will take some time off of work to enjoy family, to enjoy friends and to do all of this stuff. Some of you won't because you're too busy, because there's too much to do. And this is Moses's problem. And this is Moses's problem, okay? So uh, this is the thing, right? Here's the reality. As Americans, I'm preaching to all of us because this is, we, we are a very, very busy culture. Uh, and I tell people all the time, whenever you prepare a message, it's usually the Lord bringing heavy conviction on you. If you guys know, I'm like trying to like balance like 20 plates on little sticks on, you know, like those, those circus acts that you see sometimes. But the reality is, is, is scripture is here to remind us and to teach us because we continually tend to fall back into routines and things that the Lord reminds us hey, don't take on too much. Don't do too much. Don't, I didn't call you to all of this, right? I've given you means and methods for this. So, uh, so anyway, uh, Moses, immediately after his wife and children are there, they worship a little bit with his father-in-law. And then the next morning, he goes back to work, okay? He goes directly back to work. Now, you may say, well, Moses never could stop working. He had to lead two million people through the wilderness, and, there, and there's truth to that, right? There's some element and level of our life that you'll never be able, if you're a parent, you understand, you never get to stop being a parent, right? Even on your days off, your kids still want to eat. Kids, gosh, so needy. Food, uh, right? And, and you can have them make their own food, right, mom? And then you'll spend the rest of the afternoon cleaning the kitchen, right? So there are some elements and some things in life that you just don't get to necessarily stop for, and that's okay, right? But in this particular case, Jethro notices something. He not only noticed that Moses is working, 
immediately after they had just worshiped together. But he also notices that Moses is completely overwhelmed, that he's completely overwhelmed. Let's read the text and, and then we'll begin to break it down, all right? So Exodus uh, chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 13. And it says, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what, are you, what you are doing is not good. You and all the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God will be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known uh, the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Even every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses cho chose able men of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they were able to decide themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, we know that uh, being in your word enriches our life, Lord, helps us to know you better and draws us closer and closer to you. So Lord, we just pray tonight that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would teach us, Lord. Your word says that your spirit does all of these things in us. So we ask for that this evening, Lord. Teach us through your word. Guide us, Lord. Fill us up. Encourage us, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in your holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we start this chapter and there's a problem. There's a problem, right? Anybody have problems in their life? Not you guys, right? Near perfect. Your lives are smooth sailing. Near perfect, okay? Right? I knew coming to this church, I was gonna mess it up. A nearly perfect church and I come here and I'm a hot mess, so... Goodness gracious, don't shake your head. That's not very nice. <laughs> the problem, right? Verses 13 through 16, the people would come to Moses and say, what am I supposed to do? They need direction to follow the Lord. Now, here's the interesting thing. Moses says, they come to me, they tell me their problems. I tell them the statues and the statutes 
and the laws of the Lord. I don't want you to get confused, right? Statues, statutes, they're two different things, right? So he's telling them the statutes and the laws of the Lord. Eh, hold on, wait just a minute. We don't have those yet, do we? Doesn't that come in Exodus chapter 19 and 20? Don't we get the law of the Lord here a little bit later? Yet Moses is meeting with these people. He's listening to their life problems between two people. And he says, okay, the statutes and the laws of the Lord are this, and you need to do this. You know what I love about the Lord? Is that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His laws aren't new when Moses goes up to the mountain to get them written down. That's just when they get written down so that the people will understand that these laws are from God. Moses is not making them up. They're from God. These laws are functioning laws regularly amongst people. Think about this. Some of them are as basic as can be. Don't kill. It's a pretty good one, right? You know, Scripture actually says the law of God is written on your heart. If you never read it in Scripture, it's actually written on your heart. And here's how it's written on your heart. And I say this all the time to my students. Do you like being lied to? I don't, personally. Well, don't lie. Right? Ah, I think Jesus even said it, right? Treat other people the way you want it to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of these laws that we're talking about here are basic common sense laws that will later come down, be etched upon stone so that the people have them and have an, an order and a regulation to follow to show that they're no good and they can't follow the law. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Because that's really the purpose of the law is to show you that you need a savior and you can't do it by yourself, right? But man is the same as well. God hasn't changed and neither has man. We look at our society today and we're like, oh gosh, people have gotten so bad. Go to Rome and study Rome for a little while. I don't know if you know the history of Rome, but it's pretty bad. The things that were going on in Rome, there's nothing worse today going on in American society that was going on in Rome in the first century when Jesus was walking around. It was a pretty bad society. It was pretty rough. Man is the same. Conflict is the same. People don't like people. Right? Here's the interesting thing about this problem. As we get into this problem in Scripture, here's the interesting thing about the problem. I love Scripture because Scripture deals, it comes from every aspect and gives us a well-rounded view that God is there for whatever you're going through, right? We've seen the problem of food. God was there. We've seen the problem of water. God was there. These are necessary elements that we need, but they're also external provisions that God has given the people. Then we see the problem of the enemy itself moving in on the people and coming against the people. A third type of problem, right? And now we see the problem of internal conflict amongst God's people. So we have 
Necessary elements outside things that we need to nourish our bodies, they didn't have them, God provided. We see an enemy coming against them, somebody that doesn't agree with them, somebody that wants to kill them, somebody that's out to get them and overtake them. And now we see them bickering and fighting amongst themselves. All of these problems exist today. Provision problems, enough money to pay our bills, enough money to buy our groceries, enough money to get gas, to pay anything that we might need for our lives. We have an enemy that if you walk boldly in Christ, he's coming after you. He really does. He comes after us. If we walk righteously in the ways of the Lord, the enemy is going to attack you. You don't want attacks from the enemy? Don't follow the Lord. That's not advice. That's the worst advice anyone could give you. I'd rather be attacked by the enemy and be covered by the Lord. All right? I've been on both sides of that. I promise you this side is better. And I'm pretty sure that most of you guys can say that as well, right? So there's a problem. So Moses is spending, and this is the thing about this passage of Scripture. Moses is spending, Scripture says, from the time the sun comes up to the time the sun goes down. Now, most of us know, and it, it's, that's about 12 hours a day. 12 hours a day. Now, the law is not established, but the reality is, is that the idea of Sabbath is established, so we're going to assume naturally that Moses is not doing this on Sabbath because God had already established that with his people. Remember manna? And he said, on the seventh day, you will not. And if you do, there will be punishment. That's going to be rancid. It's going to be full of worms. It's going to be nasty what you're bringing into your house when you wake up the next morning. Okay? So we know that God has already established this with this people as they were walking out through the wilderness. But here's the thing, and many of us are guilty of this. We have our Sabbath, we have our day of rest, but every other day of the week, we work 12, 14, 16, 18 hours. We don't ever stop. We don't ever stop. I told you, <sighs> stinking messages. Anytime you preach, it's just as pile of conviction, right? That's how it is. That's how it is. So, um, so Moses has 2 million people, roughly speaking, most theologians believe, about 2 million people out in the middle of the wilderness, and he's trying to govern them himself. About 12 hours minimum a day. Everyone who has a problem, marriages that are falling apart, People who have conflict with the guy who lives in the tent next door to them. I was moving my sheep across and that guy there, he kicked my sheep when he was walking along. Moses, what are we supposed to do? Because now my sheep has a broken leg. What are we supposed to do, Moses? Right? What are we supposed to do? They wanted a third party an unbiased voice. That's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to seek counsel when you're having problems. 
It's a good thing to have somebody guide you in the midst of your trials, in the midst of the issues that you're having, whether in your marriage, whether it's in conflict with somebody else. It's a good thing to bring in an unbiased person that can listen and give you truth. Just make sure the person you're bringing in will give you truth and not tell you what you want to hear, okay? You've always heard the, the saying, I would say most of you have heard this saying, whenever there's conflict, there's three sides of the story. Your side, my side, and the truth, right? Because whenever somebody comes to you with conflict and they're like, this is what she's doing. This is what she's doing to me. This is what he's doing to me. And this is what he's doing to me. We always kind of sugar glaze our role in that situation, right? So that we look a little bit better than we should in that situation. Sometimes we don't even notice it, but we certainly don't focus on our, our flaws and our, our things. That's why it's good to have an unbiased person on the outside understanding these two points of views to do this, okay? Jethro. Now, you got to realize, Jethro is wise. He's wise. We see that here in Scripture, that Jethro is a very wise man. And it's important for us as people, to have older, wiser people in your life. It's very important to have older, wiser people in your life. People can, that can literally say, oh, when I was your age. Don't do that. When I was your age, yeah, don't do that either. Hey, that's a really good idea. You know what you should do? It's a good thing. That's why churches should be diverse. That's why churches should have people all the way from babies all the way up into their 90s. It's important. If you're missing a people group in your congregation, an age group, it's like, hey, we need to pray for this age group. It's important to have that age group in our congregation so that our young people can look at young married couples as they grow up. So our young married couples can look at older married couples as they mature in their marriages and they can get counsel from them. And so forth and so on as life goes. So our young men, as Paul would say, okay, that our young men would be able to, to minister, I mean, our old men would be able to minister to our younger men and that our older women would be able to minister and, and teach our younger women. Okay, these are important things, all right? So anyway, Jethro sees this problem. He's wise, he's older than Moses, he's been through a lot of stuff in his life. He is a priest, so I'm sure that he's dealt with this issue before. Because being a priest is a very difficult thing, okay? And I love he just kind of comes to Moses. He's obviously got a very good relationship with Moses, right? Sometimes father-in-laws, it works really well, and sometimes it doesn't, right? I hope that yours works really well, like Jethro has here. Because Jethro, and it's very important to understand this, Jethro is a man of God. We established that last week. 
Therefore, Jethro coming to Moses as a man of God is a very important aspect. And he comes to Moses as a man of God. They've just worshiped together. So understand that, right? This is not just an angry father-in-law coming in and saying, trying to protect his own, trying to take, it's not that at all. This is a man of God who has just worshiped together with Moses that sees a problem in Moses' life and says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Church, do you have people in your life that you trust enough and are close enough to actually tell you, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's too much. It's important. It's important. Moses has Jethro. He says, why are you sitting here alone? This, is not, we're not, this was not meant to be done alone. Moses has his reasons and they seem godly. They seem godly. But the truth of the matter is, is he's overworking himself. Jethro sees this problem. Now, there may be some contributing factors here. Jethro knows that this is, he's getting ready to leave. Moses is working from sun up to sundown. Now, that worked okay while Zipporah and Moses' two sons weren't in town, okay? That was fine. It wasn't that big a deal. But now Jethro is noticing something. He says, here in a minute, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go back to Midian and my daughter and my grandchildren are going to be left right here. And the very person that God placed in their life to be their mentor, to be their priest, to be their guide, their provider, is so busy he doesn't have time for him. Now, that's probably something going on there. And as a father and as a priest, Jethro can see this. Jethro can see this. And he says, Moses, what are you doing? You cannot continue like this. This will kill you. You're not gonna last very long. And he specifically says that. You're not going to make it. You're not going to last. He's been functioning without his family. So where is his family going to fit in unless there's major changes in his life, right? I remember one time somebody saying to me, if you say yes to one thing, you are automatically saying no to something else. What are you saying no to, right? Now, if you're not doing anything, that's a whole different thing. But most of us are pretty busy people, right? So if you just said yes to something, what would you have been doing with the time you just said yes to something too instead of doing that thing, right? And sometimes those are good yeses and it's okay. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean you start saying no to everything, right? We still want to see you at all of the functions, every single one of them without fail. Sorry, I, I know that was kind of derailing and Daniel's over there going, no, oh, they got to go to the functions. We, I'm kidding. He would, that didn't happen at all. But the reality is, is that there's some truth to that. If I say yes to everything that comes my way, usually what I'm saying no to is some time with your kids, some time with your spouse, some quiet time, your time with the Lord. You're probably saying no to many of those things. 
if you don't stop from sunup to sundown. You're saying no to things in your life, right? And Jethro noticed, he's like, this is, this is not gonna be okay. So for Moses to continue to say yes to being this minister in the way that he was ministering meant that he was gonna end up saying no to his family. That he was gonna end up saying no to his family. Moses is in danger of filling his time. I've heard it said that if the devil can't get you in sin, he's gonna make you so busy and try to destroy you that way. And I think that happens to a lot of people in ministry. It does. It happens to a lot of people in ministry. I've seen a lot of ministries. And I think that's why it's important that pastors are pretty adamant about, hey, this is my day with my family. This is my day off. This is something that's very valuable and important to me. I love y'all, but those are important things, right? It's important them to say no. Uh, everybody should know, if you don't know, Billy Graham. Uh, I found a quote about Billy Graham's regrets. Okay, I'm gonna put the beginning of the quote up there on the screen for you, and it says, although I have much to be grateful for as I look back over my life, and mind you, then he was uh, fairly old when he actually gave this quote. Uh, he said, I have failed many times, and I would do many things differently. For one thing, I would speak less and study more, and I would spend more time with my family. When I look back over the schedule I kept 30 or 40 years ago, this is continuing on. It's a pretty long thing. I just gave you the beginning of it. I'm not going to give you all of it up there. I am staggered by all the things we did and the engagements we kept. Sometimes we flitted from one part of the country to another, even from one continent to the another in just the course of a few days. Were all of those engagements necessary? Was I as discerning as I might have been? about which ones to take and which ones to turn down, I doubt it. Every day I was absent from my family is now gone forever. Although much of that travel was necessary, some of it was not. I would also spend more time in spiritual nurture, seeking to grow closer to God so I could become more like Christ. I would spend more time in prayer, not just for myself, but for others. I would spend more time studying the Bible and meditating on its truth, not only for sermon preparation, but to apply its message to my life. It is far too easy for someone in my position to read the Bible only with an eyes on a future sermon, overlooking the message God has for me through its pages. And I would give more attention to fellowship with other Christians who could teach me and encourage me and even rebuke me when necessary. What a beautiful quote. Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists of all times. Thousands, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of men and women would be saved through this incredible ministry. And he said, I probably shouldn't have taken every engagement offered to me. I just got excited. I would have spent more time with my family and more time at the feet of Jesus. I'm paraphrasing, as you know. I just think that's really beautiful. The solution 
Jethro tells him, he says, uh, this is in, in verses 17 through 23. He says, choose men who are able to do the job of being a judge. Break the people down into smaller groups, groups of hundreds, uh, thousands of hundreds of fifties, and then of tens. So Moses was creating a government for this people, run by officials that were selected based on their moral, morals and principles. These men had to be godly men who would not be tempted to take a bribe or to show favor for one party over another. Men from the people who fear God and are trustworthy, Scripture says. Let these godly men settle all the sm smaller matters, and then if they can't settle the bigger ones, then those bigger ones get to come to you, Moses. Man, this sounds a lot like government, doesn't it? Not just church government, but really like government in general. Appointing leaders that do this representation, and then it slowly goes up, and you have people over city councils, you have people that are mayors, you have people that are governors, you have people, and all of this hierarchy of government, right? It's kind of the way that we function. And it's interesting that God established this style or this type of government really all the way back here in the book of Exodus, okay? Now, we all know that it's not a perfect establishment of government, right? It's not a perfect establishment of government. If man was perfect, it would be perfect, but man is not perfect, right? And so these are, uh, those, those are some of the issues. We see it in our government, Rome, kind of ended up being like this, appointing men who were over these things. As we read scripture about Jesus, it was like they went to this guy who was the prefect over this little area. And then once they got past that guy, because he was still guilty, now they had to go to uh, the, the governor over this area. Okay, so you had the Israeli king who was basically a figurehead that got to govern over the Israeli people. And then you had uh, Pilate who was the governor of the little area, the little region, but he still had to answer back to Rome. Okay. And there were a whole bunch of these little situations, very much like what's happening here. All right. Then we go to the book of Acts in Acts chapter six. And most of you guys know Acts chapter six, we've gone through it here in church before, all right? In the book of Acts, you see the same problem. The disciples are too busy doing and don't have enough time to do what they've been called to do, which is to actually study, to prepare, and to teach the ministry. They were so busy feeding people and they were so busy taking stuff around and doing all of these little elements of ministry that they decided that there needed to be deacons in the church. And so here we have another style of church government, okay? So you have what they call the mosaic model of government where you have one leader and then you have a couple of other leaders that answer back or elders that answer back to the one leader. And many churches in our area are established like this, okay? And then there's other types of government that we see here in the scripture as well for church government, right? Which is in Acts chapter six, it's a council of elders. It's a council of elders with one person ultimately in charge of the council of elders. Okay, and here at Redemption Church, we're kind of a hybrid, actually, I would say. Kind of a hybrid between these two models, trying to pick up 
the things, trying to recognize and notice the things that are easy for men to slip into in the mosaic model, right? I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but uh, people are prideful. Yeah, people are prideful. And it's very easy if we elevate one person to too high of a status that that person can easily come into a prideful position and fall, right? And so our heart and our goal in ministry here is to surround ourselves, okay, with like-minded pastors and believers that are able, okay, to do what Jethro is doing right here and say, hey, no, that's not good for you. That's not healthy. I think maybe you need to pull back a little bit and take a vacation with your family. I think you need to do this, or I think, I think this is a good thing for you. And we try to set up a system that, that brings accountability, that brings encouragement, that brings growth inside of the church. And, and that's really what they were trying to do here. Now, not yet anyway, but here at Redemption, we're not trying to govern 2 million people, at least not yet. It's coming, y'all, it's coming. Right? So as we continue to kind of work through this, right, we, we have to understand that there is a solution to the problem. And if Moses is wise enough to listen to Jethro and the solution that Jethro has laid out for him, Okay? One of the things that I love about this passage of scripture, and, and, and sometimes I read a few commentaries on this after I, I kind of put down what I felt like the Lord was showing me here. I went back to some commentaries and I do that a lot. And I'm like, can I pick up any little nuggets from here? It's kind of a study method, right? You see what the Lord shows you here. And then you go back and you read what this guy and this guy, and then you pick up a nugget or two from those commentaries. And, and some of the commentaries of, of some older guys, uh, believe that this Moses model had a lot of flaws in it and a lot of these things. And it actually was probably Jethro's idea and God didn't really tell them to do this. You don't necessarily see that in scripture, but go to verse 23. Go to verse 23, because this is one of those things that I absolutely love, okay, about Jethro, okay? In verse 23, he says, Jethro says to Moses, do this, okay? Listen to me. He said, put them in this and put them in that and break them down like this and break them down into to leaders and stuff like this. In verse 23, he says, if you do this thing and God so commands you to. What did Jethro just tell him? Maybe your translation doesn't say it like that, right? And some of them don't, but I think it's an important aspect of this scripture right? Many of the translations actually use the phrasing here, if God so commands you to. Jethro comes in, right? And he says, this is what you need to do, Moses. But what he's actually telling him in verse 23 is, now you take that idea and you go ask the Lord if it's a good idea. Is that what you're supposed to be doing? And church, I'm going to tell you, you should always do that. When you receive counsel, take that counsel to the Lord and say, Lord, 
I know you put this person in my life to speak into my life. Are you speaking through that person into me? But here's the thing. Because we're broken people, sometimes we're obstinate and we don't want to do that thing and we'll convince ourselves, no, we're not supposed to do that thing, right? If it's black and white in scripture, if you know that it's sin, yeah, you don't need to take that before the Lord. If someone tells you something that's going on in your life that is blatant sin, if somebody looks at you and says, hey, I know what you're doing, you gotta stop. It's not okay to be addicted to drugs. It's not okay to have an affair. It's not okay. You can't say, well, I'm gonna take that to the Lord. See what he says. Well, if that's your attitude, I can guarantee you're probably gonna get your confirmation because you ain't really going to the Lord. If you believe that you need to pray about whether it's okay for you to sin or not, we got a whole different problem. Right? So, I love that because I think it's so important. Jethro doesn't just come in and says, you have to do this. He says, listen, Moses, I see a problem in your life. It's a big problem. Moses is not sinning. Moses is doing what he believed that God had called him to do. It was just overwhelming for him. And Jethro says, yeah, you're doing it, but there's a better way to do it that's not gonna kill you. Let me give you some advice from what I've seen, from what I understand, from what I know. And you take that. And if God so commands you and you do it, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. And then scripture says the results, verses 26 through 27. It worked. It worked. It says right here, it worked. The judges were able to do the work of the ministry and Moses was able to re rest and reduce his workload. Verse 27 says, and then Moses let his father-in-law go home. Did you notice that when we read it? I just think that's really funny. Moses let his father-in-law go home, okay? Now, I don't know about you guys, okay? But when you're young, and maybe many of you guys have actually done this for your children. And your, your daughter or your daughter-in-law, depending on how close you are with your daughter-in-law and your son, has a baby, right? One of the things that grandmas love to do is to go to the house and spend a couple of days serving the family. And it's beautiful. It's amazing. Okay, but there comes a time, all right, where it's time for grandma to go home, okay, right? And a lot of times, it's the daughter or the son that says, mom, we're good, you can go home now. It's not like you're letting them go home like they're under your authority. It's a, we've come to a place where we're comfortable now and we're not gonna need you. Here, listen what's happening here. Moses was working from sun up to sundown, right? So Jethro sees this situation. First of all, you had Zipporah and Moses's first son, Zipporah probably pregnant at the time since we see that when she comes back, there's two sons, right, that were not mentioned previously. 
And so we see that Jethro had been taking care of them because Moses was busy trying to figure out how to get these people out of Israel. So then Jethro comes back and says, now is time for you to take your wife and your kids back. They were with me for a season as you got this thing established. You're in a good place now. Now I'm bringing them back to you. But when Jethro saw what was actually going on, he's like, I can't go home. My wife and kids still need me. I mean, my daughter and kids still need me. They need someone to take care of them. Moses is in no position to take care of them. He wakes up and goes to work and comes home and goes to bed. He's working 12, 14 hours a day. He's in no position. So when we see the end of this passage of Scripture, there's some peace in that. And Moses has come to the realization by putting this structure into place, by getting help, that Jethro can go home now. And Moses is going to be able to do what I would consider his primary calling. His primary calling. Guys, Scripture says you're the priest of your home. You're the priest of your home. Our first job is our family. If you've been called into the ministry, if you've been called to serve, if you've been called to do these things, I believe wholeheartedly that your family comes first. I remember a missionary telling me at one point, God can raise up a church, he can close a church. He can replace you in a second in a church. If that church needs you to function, then it's not a work of the Holy Spirit, it's a work of you. If they cannot exist without you, then you're doing it by yourself and not in God's strength. Wow. That's a strong blow to a man's pride right there. (laughs) Right? But it's true but your family, you only get one of them. You might pastor four churches in your lifetime, but you really only get one family, right? Your kids, your spouse, you got one good shot at it. They become your most important ministry. They should be. Young people, if you're not married, Embrace that. Old people, it's never too late. It's never too late. Minister to your kids. Show them that you love them and that you pray for them, even when they get annoyed at it. Even when they get annoyed at it. Let them know how much you love them. Let them know how valuable you are. They are to you. It's our first ministry. Parenting, that's tough, y'all, right? You guys know how tough that is. And if you've got teenagers, gosh. (laughs) Gosh. I mean, mine are perfect. I'm speaking for you guys because I've seen some of you guys really start to have to go through it. Mine are perfect. Right? She put her hood on and put her head down. Uh, Guys, as we 
kind of close this little section of Scripture out and get ready to move into the Christmas season. Thanksgiving, Christmas, they're some of the most amazing times of family. And that's why if there's brokenness in your family, that these holidays are so hard. Is because they really are geared around the idea of family. Right? So, parents, make sure your kids know what they're about. Make sure that they know as you sit together at tables that it's the Lord who provides all things and that it's the Lord that we're thankful for. And whatever way you celebrate Christmas, Christmas, make sure that they know that it was God in flesh. It's God in flesh is the reason. Maybe you tell them that we give gifts because he gave us the greatest gift. Whatever it is, bring it back to Jesus. Bring it back to Jesus. Moses was blessed. He was extremely blessed to have a father-in-law who loved the Lord, worshiped together with him, and was bold enough to speak truth into his life. So I pray as Laura comes and we prepare our hearts for communion, I pray that this holiday season that you have family or that you become that person that can speak truth and wisdom about the love of the Lord, okay? Lots of stuff in here, lots of church government, lots of all of these things. But one of the most beautiful parts to me as we study this is the wisdom of an older man, his father-in-law speaking truth into his life that he may become the guy that God called him to be. Amen. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube, so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.